0: Hi there and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have Peter Walters with us. He's the Managing Director of DSM Venturing. He's also a startup founder, an investor and many other things. I'm really excited to have you on. Peter, please introduce yourself and tell the people what you do.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I, I really look forward to this conversation wherever it may lead us. So. Um, Yeah, like you said, I'm the managing director of um, uh, venturing at uh, a Dutch company, Uh, originally Dutch company, I should say. It's a global company, DSM. Um, We uh, have a large portfolio of startup investments, so we're a little bit like a a venture capital firm um, working strategically uh, with us as our main investor, uh, DSM. Um, and um, uh, that that is my my job Um, I'm also uh, very much still a startup entrepreneur uh, which is what I did um, until I joined DSM Uh, like you said I I co-founded and was CEO of a number of companies Um, and um, yeah that's uh, I live in Boston Um, since seven years before that I was in California for about 10 years. Um, we moved there with the family with one of the startups I was with after we did an acquisition in the US. Um, so I'm sort of um, professionally more American probably, but culturally still um, the accent is Dutch and that is my nationality. So I've lived in different places, but um, the, the roots are still there as well. So it's, it's a blend of things. So when uh, the Formula One was happening, you're
0: still cheering for uh, Max?
1: <laughs> well, I have to admit, we, we, we don't have a cable box here, so I don't watch live sports very often, but I happened to be in the Netherlands when he was racing at Zandvoort, uh, at and uh, with the neighbors there, uh, we, we had a, a, a good afternoon. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting, to see, interesting to see such a young guy being at that world level. Uh, wow, what a promise.
0: Right. Um, quickly about you, one of the most interesting bits, and and I love introducing people, not only in the investment sphere, but actually people who have done it, done it successfully, and then transitioned into the next kind of giving back generation. And I feel like if I look at your career, that's kind of what you are doing. But before we dive into what you're doing right now, I'd love for the listeners to dive into your past. How did you start? How did you end up where you are today? Maybe, you know, can you dive into your startup stories Um, and and did it start when you studied or can you tell us your first story within startups?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was a bit late to the game with startups. I I, I don't consider myself a thoroughbred startup guy after birth, if you will. Um, I I, I, uh, I had a career for about ten years. Um, more in, in uh, larger company, uh, business, uh, some law, some transaction practice. Um, that's where I learned a lot of skills, I think. Um, and um, and then, yeah, early 30s, um, uh, became a CFO of a startup uh, through a connection with a VC. Um, it, it, it was a, a spin out of a university in the Netherlands, actually, where the VC insisted with the first million that there would be somebody on the business side, um, next to the two professors who, who were spinning out the company. Um, and um, it, it was a big step. I, I remember, um, you know, I, I was always wearing a suit until then, um, uh, going to an office, uh, everything looked very organized and, uh, you know, it was a, was a good career I was, uh, I was on, but I was getting very impatient with, with getting things done and really having the impact I was looking for. Um, so uh, took a big pay cut, about fifty percent. Uh, a verbal agreement on some stock at some point, and uh, there we there we went. And uh, it, it it was a roller coaster. I was there. Uh, so we're talking now, 1997. Um, we we raised um, from. Uh, European and American investors about 20 million uh, it was a tissue engineering company I should say so uh, we were making um, living bone and cartilage and skin uh, of your own cells of the patient's own cells and then growing on scaffolds so to really mimic um, uh, living tissue uh, rather than using all kinds of artificial materials um, And. Um, we uh, yeah, like I said, it was a roller coaster. We uh, we grew from from that small research group to at the at the high um, about 300 people. Uh, then we were in the U.S., in the Netherlands, in Switzerland, um, had products in patients, um, and also. Um, You know, started building a sales organization, Uh, took the company public, uh, actually several times, first in Amsterdam, then through a merger in Toronto and in Lausanne, and ultimately to NASDAQ, and then sold um, uh, in 2007. So it it was a a 10-year journey, but very different uh, renditions of the same principle on different continents, different countries, but also with different products and very different people. Um, so I, I, with hindsight, I say, um, didn't know much when I started there uh, at all. Uh, I don't want to speak too much for others, but I think we were all pretty inexperienced in, in the startup world, and we learned fast and furious um, by, uh, by making quite a few mistakes. But uh, you know, and this is still a motto, I, I strongly believe, and you, you don't have to do everything right as long as you learn and as, a, as long as you don't repeat the same mistakes um, and accept some help to prevent a few mistakes here and there from people who've already went before you. Um, anyway, after that, I wanted to take um, uh, a little while off because it had been quite intense and it wasn't all glamorous as, as, as sometimes it sounds when you take companies public, etc. We, we had a few challenges, um, especially here in, in America. Um, and um, so I I thought I needed some rest and uh, (laughs) as things go ran into um, another opportunity uh, with um, in in, uh, computer assisted surgery Um, so still in the medical field a nice IP portfolio with a disposable device instead of a big operating theater system and um, I lived in California at the time and started with an engineer in the garage so a little bit uh, that kind of story uh, this was in 2008, uh, and we thought, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call a few of the investors that, that, that we know and um, raise the first money, raise the Series A. And then Lehman Brothers, um, um, you know, that that whole thing happened in October, so it, it became a very rough year, actually. Uh, but we were able to, to raise the A round, maybe not from the kind of money that we, we had hoped for initially, but still the fact that it, that it worked was, was good. Um, And I did that for about three years um, in in, in California. Uh, Got through FDA approval, got through the the, the first few thousand uh, sales, and then decided to move on to to next opportunities. And and around that time, I reconnected with people at DSM I knew and um, decided to go to the other side of the table.
0: So, I really like that short sketch because it will give us, obviously, a lot of questions for me to ask. the first thing I wanted to ask, which you kind of started covering but not completely, which is, what did you learn in your previous career that really helped you within your startup career? And also, you mentioned you were quite inexperienced. So, do you feel like you needed that career, or was it? Could you have started much earlier?
1: Hmm. That second part is definitely an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I I think the general skill set of I have legal training as a background. Uh, I worked a lot in in transactions, so I think in this particular case with this this with Isotis, the startup that we were in, and and also f- in view of the fact that we did a few acquisitions and mergers, that really helped a lot actually. Um, by that time, uh, with with Intervals, I was CFO and interim CEO, and then CFO, business development, and ultimately CEO of the whole group. Um, it, it, it had helped that I that I knew how to work those processes the principles of working with all the advisors that get involved when you go public when you when you um, acquire a company uh, and ultimately when you get acquired um, the second part of the question um, did I I'm gonna make it very black and white did I waste 10 years before jumping into the startup scene well yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, maybe it could have been shorter. It could have been shorter, but I think for this particular route, and definitely for what I do now, it was very valuable training. and a little bit about me personal, it 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 you know, I I do acknowledge totally that I and we were pretty inexperienced in the startup, but I feel, felt a certain confidence level knowing at least a part where I could go back and 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 sort of lean on. Um and and I need that. I, I you know I'm a generalist or so this is sometimes a regret I have that I didn't become a very technical person or an inventor. Uh, all those things could have been different paths as well. Um, but I still like to know what I'm talking about to have the confidence um, to to share opinions and take decisions. So I don't go completely from the gut, if you will.
0: I like that and I'm very similar. So when you were actually then starting out within the startup, what were some moments that you were thinking, okay, well, if if I had started sooner, maybe we we would have dodged that bullet or maybe share some failures that you had some the store i like I like listening to stories, so maybe some big learning lessons that you learned that you can share with you know the listeners here,
1: yeah, yeah, well, you know in startups and even more so in startups where you make stuff that goes into people's bodies um it, it's very multidisciplinary, right? So um, you're, you're dealing with the whole gamut of sometimes much larger, bigger enterprises where they have specialists for everything. In a startup, you don't, right? You, you, you look to the left, you look to the right, there's your colleagues, and that's it. Um, and um, uh, So there were definitely areas, I would say, in the complexity that we knew by thinking logically and by people giving us advice on from the board and the investors that were going to be important um, but we didn't fully grasp until having gone through it a few times um, how impactful it can be if, if you don't have your ducks in a row there or if maybe um, systems and circumstances just don't allow you to do something And and you know for instance with the technology that we had at isotis we we had it in working in the lab we had it working in patients um what what we with hindsight probably underestimated is how tough it would be to get it uh, approved for uh wide use uh from a regulatory perspective and and maybe even more importantly to get it reimbursed by insurance companies um, because you're you're at the start, right? You're 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 making stuff that's really expensive to make if you if you do only one or two. So you're trying to start scaling and getting the cost down at larger scale. Um, but the, the 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 formal aspects of getting reimbursement, um, especially in Europe at the time, I, I, I don't know how it is now as well. Uh, were really really tough and um, uh, so that was one of the motivations actually to at some point cross over to the US because at least there you have a very large and homogeneous market where some of those um, mechanisms are, are more predictable still very tough but a little bit more predictable so that that was definitely one um, another one um, this and this was completely me I would say my inexperience with sales um, in this space I really struggled hiring um, the right blend of very experienced people with people who were more innovative in their approaches in what is a very traditional um, um, surgeon-driven sales process but where also hospitals and insurers and everybody plays a role in making decisions to buy something or not, Um, that, 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 that was tough. That was tough. And can you
0: dive deeper into the process of hiring? Because this is a very recurring topic. I think one of the most top uh, asked questions that I get is how do you hire a sales team or salespeople and then and then added to that in this country or in this region? So could you share maybe more in detail, like how that process for you was? What are red flags? What were good things?
1: Yeah, you're bringing up an important point because I was doing it um, definitely at that stage. I'd just come to the US, you know, 6, 12 months before. Um, And everybody warns you for this, right? Yeah, people look the same. They all speak English. (coughs) You've traveled there your whole life. It's very different to live there and really do business there as an American company. So I think uh, it it was the double... The discipline I didn't know much about to sort of sniff out who would be the right people, you know, uh, and, and, until later. Uh, I definitely benefited from this in my second company, by the way. Um, and and doing it in a culture that is really very different and where people communicate very differently, right? If, if you're used to the more, let's say... Um, North Sea uh, direct um, uh, communication styles and then you come to the U.S. where you think people will probably do the same. Well, turns out not to be true. And then it varies per region even. Uh, And we were trying to build a national sales force here in the U.S. So, um, yeah, a lot of hard lessons there. Um, At some point, I started leaning more on people who had done it on the board, asking for help, uh, even as part of the interview process, using specialized recruiters. Um and yeah, I guess had to make my mistakes as well.
0: So so you went to the board and specialized recruiters. Did you eventually were you eventually able to do it yourself? And if so, what did that fun that hiring funnel look like?
1: Um Well, I'm trying to think back on we, we made our first hires. Um, in 2004-5, so this was very recently after that acquisition of the, of, the, of the US company and after moving basically the headquarters of the group to California. But then we did our biggest uh, expense of the sales force in 2006-2007 um, in and by that time we really tried to go national, so we hired about 30 people. Uh, by that time I had a very good VP of sales um, so um, uh, it was a he. Uh, he, he drove a, a, a lot of that and brought in a lot of connections, people he had already worked with, which in this traditional business that we were in turned out to be pretty critical. And I, I still um, see that. Uh, now let's fast forward. What are we, 16, 15, 16 years later? Uh, it's, it's still the case in that domain. Uh, so some of the startups we've invested in, I can now bring that to the table that, you know, how important is it that these relationships uh, exist between, you know, the leadership and sales, the sales people, the people in the field and the surgeons that were that were that ser- we were serving and that a lot of the startups we invest in are serving. So um, it, yeah, it turned out to be very much a relationships business, not so much a, a skills business.
0: So pretty much you need to just find one really good one and this person needs to be connected to all the other potential people that he can hire he or she
1: yeah. can hire and, and and that one really good one because I've made a few mistakes there as well <laughs> um you have to make sure that there is a longer term alignment that it's not too transactional which um you know driven by um you know money or stock options but very opportunistically um I, I i i made a couple of mistakes there as well um not not making the right judgment call on what drives a, a person
0: so so do you then look at somebody because they want to be with your company and the mission or you're looking at their core values and morals
1: well i would say um I've learned to appreciate getting to know a person and their core values as best as I can. It, you know, you're talking about maybe, you know, for senior leadership positions, two, three, four rounds of, of, of talks, you know, maybe a dinner to get out of a, a formal environment a little bit, so it, 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 it's always hard. Um, uh, but the values are really important. Uh, honesty, uh, communication styles, Getting along enough that you know you can have an open, direct um, communication with somebody. Um, I, 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 and the first one you mentioned as well, you, you, I, I need to see an alignment with what we're doing. And then thirdly, um, yeah, the, the money, the comp, the, the, the upside needs to be good. It doesn't have to be splashy or excellent. That can actually be a distraction in its own right. But, yeah, you know, if you talk about percentiles in the market, if, you, if you're aiming for success, you, you should not. This, this is maybe also what, what I learned. You, it's good to be scrappy in startups, and you have to, but for some things you really have to pay. And, and especially when you get to commercialization, you do have to pay. Uh, to pay. It's a very competitive environment. And, and it is, to some extent, driven by making money.
0: So pretty much as a founder who's ready to hire a sales team, focus on just hiring one good VP of sales and then pay a lot for that.
1: Be prepared to pay a lot for that if that if that person actually delivers and, and make sure there's a good combination between short term and midterm and long term um, uh, compensation alignment. Yeah,
0: I like that. Um, very detailed answer. Thank you. Um, one of the things you also covered that I was interested in was um, the investor relationship. So you mentioned going to the board, all that stuff. One of the things that I tend to get asked because we get a lot of beginning startups that don't have investors. They read the books, hear the stories, the podcasts, everything. But what is it exactly like from your perspective, maybe throughout your all of your startups? What is the investor relationship like? What does a startup need to look out for when accepting money? Um, and, And how does that become different from the beginning stages to all the way IPO?
1: Yeah, this is a big question Um, (laughs) we have time (laughs) yeah no I know I know this I find this very refreshing of your your approach we have time Um, so I like venture capital as it was started which was people who had run companies who had run startups Um, and I don't know how far you want to go back, but you can probably go back to the 60s, 70s, when you sort of saw that first crowd of venture capital um, originating, probably mostly in this country, actually, Um, and um, who who wanted to um, have more impact than one company at a time, who started putting some of their own money that they had made in startups, but not necessarily to make a killing on every investment, but also driven by wanting to transfer their experience, their knowledge, um, I, I still believe that that is the best type of investor you can have, especially in the earlier stages. People, you know, who've, who've, who've felt your challenges, who've lived your pain, who've also had your successes, um, but who've also probably had a moment where, you know, there was no more money for the next payroll. And what do you do then, right? So who can empathize with what you're going through, um, but are are also Playing their role, right? So, so sometimes I see um, people leaning very much and very long on angel investors, where you know, where they're really driven by other things, like having something meaningful to do in their lives, which is which is great, right? But um, you, you have to find uh, also a level of professionalism, I think, with people who want to be an investor and want to play that role on a board, for instance, um, I, I like to think about it, you know, nose in, know what's going on, have your ear to the ground, but keep your fingers out, unless you have to intervene. Something is really going wrong, and then you have to be very decisive. And most people there, on the investor side, wait too long then to do something. So this might sound contradictory, but um, anyway, going back to the investor question, that 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 is, Especially in the earlier phases. And then as you grow as a company, yeah, you you go to your B round, your C round. At some point you, you may go public. Um, then you also want to see in your cap table probably investors who are ready for that next stage. Um, who, who can think a little bit more purely financial, uh, less operational. Because by that time, hopefully in your company, you've built... Your 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 team. You have that experience in the company. You don't need the board for that as much. But it would still be good if the investors are on the board, and they usually are, especially in the beginning, to have people there who have experience, who have um, uh, who, who can actually help coach maybe some of 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 you or your team members uh, as founders, without being the people who tell you what to do the whole time because that's how they did it, right? So they need to have grown. They have had. They need to have gone through their personal development journey as well and accept what role they play now. Um, I've, I've seen good and bad on that in my in my my own startups. But fast-forwarding to what we do now at DSM Venturing, this is really what we try to do, right, for our portfolio companies is have a team of people who, who can be board members on their companies who are not necessarily, you know, best friends with the management teams the whole time, but who can play that role and not play the role of some some investors who you also see and I've also experienced, who are just in it for the money, and who think in zero sum. Um, uh, notions. So if if they take more percentage of shares, then it has to come from you as the founder. So now we're going to start looking for every reason, every little mistake, every deviation from plan as a reason to to uh, make your share smaller, so my share gets bigger, right? Uh, that that is the type of investors I don't really care for, and um, and it it often comes through greed, inexperience, having you know, maybe purely financial training, coming out of MBA school, running everything by spreadsheets. Um, Be careful with that, I would say to founders.
0: There's actually a really good question that I wanted to ask right now, which is how do you explain to um, a founder? I've met a lot of venture capital firms uh, and some of them have pretty much students that just graduated and decide whether a startup is a fit or not. Now, in some cases, they have good reputations, these venture capital firms. And sometimes I even refer people to them. But how do you explain after what you just said? How do you explain to a founder that those people are there and should be there? Why is it not all people that have 20 years of experience and Am I missing something? Like, are those are those people supposed to be there? Are they not supposed to be there? Should they first have a career before they go into a venture capital firm? Can you share your opinion? And
1: <laughs> well, you know, I understand why. Um, why why the VC firms want to have that leverage, right? Because they're, you know, if you look at the at, at the at the amount of money going into venture capital year on year, even in the last decade, it's it's staggering, the numbers. Even this year, I read something like 216 billion year to date went into VC funds from institutional investors uh, compared to 150 last year. Uh, it, 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 the numbers and, and then all the stories about unicorns, etc. So it is logical that if there's so much money-chasing startups um, that, it, that there's not enough experienced people that can take care of every single step in every single investment. Um, so you, you, you get a leverage model with multiple layers of people and that this is not necessarily bad and that somebody had that training and that at the the first start of their career, that's the only training they've had and now experience needs to kick in. That's not bad either, but then you hope that the firm's culture and the way they interact with each other, with the partners is is such that, you know, um, that people can make small mistakes commensurate to their experience level uh, but at some point, you know that somebody will help them, and, and 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 that way, firms can operate. Especially, I think if firms are are really deep into, you know, healthcare, for instance, so they they, they really have a lot of expertise in the firm, and and work in a collegial way. I, I think this can work. Um, so yeah, it, it it's a bit of a long answer to say. I'd be careful, but I wouldn't necessarily immediately say this is not good enough. Now, if you have a startup and you do have access to the partner with the operating background and 20 years experience, uh, and you can get there, uh, you can get the money there, that, that is probably more helpful.
0: I really like how to the point your answers are, probably the Dutch side. <laughs> um, so you you just shared obviously your your first startup story. Can you maybe share um, kind of the second startup story that you went into after the IPO? You mentioned you needed to take a break. I actually want to zoom into that break. Um, why and how long was your break? And what did you do during that break? Because what I tend to notice, and I have to be honest, I also experienced something like this when, when we've achieved massive success. Um, there's like an emptiness almost that happens where you don't really know what to do. And and it's almost and I think the mistake that tends to happen is that you jump too quickly into something else that you're not supposed to be doing. So can you talk a little bit more about that break before the second startup? What were your thought processes like? How long was it and yeah, could you share that?
1: Yeah and you're making such a great point and uh yep guilty um (laughs) this is um you know so let me first say you know I, i was planning to take a year year and a half and um the i already mentioned before the exit wasn't all glamorous right so it was decent um some some people would argue that it was not good for earlier shareholders or other categories of shareholders but we 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 did okay but my point is i i i had no intention to not work for five years or and i would not be able to afford that so i was thinking okay a year why was i thinking that because a lot of people warned me uh, and told me you know hey uh, you're gonna get bored Uh, you're a very active guy and, yep, that all happened. So I, 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 it was a bit of a black hole, to be honest. Uh, I was sitting at home and trying to get busy because that's my M.O. Uh, I now know this <laughs> 20 years later. That's what I do. And sometimes you need to go through that um, and accept that you stare in. You know, it's not an abyss, like something horrible is going to happen, but it feels indeed empty. Um, and, uh, and that adrenaline rush that you've been in, uh, that I had been in for 10 years, which was pretty crazy uh, at times, uh, it's gone. And, and you wake up and you we lived in Laguna Beach, California, beautiful nature. So, yeah, I could do all those things and I did. Um, but I, f- I felt a little bored and empty, etc. So, um, yeah, when opportunities did arise, I had to tell Myself, nope, don't do it. You're you're closed for business right now. Um, and um, But then one showed up and it was people I knew who were involved and they were pretty convincing and it was a very good IP portfolio basically that, that could be transformed in a startup. Um, and I, I remember, I thought, okay, let's make this a semi-break. I'm, I'm gonna go to a conference in Hong Kong on this topic and let's see what I think. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got hooked. Um, (laughs) So the break, which was intended to be 12 to 18 months, maybe lasted five months. Uh, And I was really happy to go, you know, find an engineer and um, and, then rent a small office and then get back into adrenaline rush mode. Um, Were there signs you know, if you, if you ask my wife she she warned me several times uh, also then I don't want to go too deep into that, but with the kind of investors i I ended up being with the, there were there were signs on the wall that that was going to be difficult um, and i I did this and I plowed forward comes with the age as well, i guess right
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you when you then went out of that startup, did you take a break then
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So that was your second break. Can you describe that one? Obviously, you had the experience now of a break as well. How did you handle this break different? And I guess my question is, how did you make sure that you didn't end up in that emptiness and or if you did end up, how did you get out of it? Because at the end of the day, I'm speechless. When somebody asks me, I I don't know how to do that unless like get busy. (laughs) And, And that's not a good answer, usually.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that was not a break um, after an exit. Um, so there was definitely um, not. It, it ended up being about a year, and I consulted for other companies, but I I needed, I felt I needed to take responsibility to my family and and you know bring in. Uh, a livelihood basically uh, for us so um, that that had a totally different nature um, on the one hand that sense of urgency kept me going on the other hand uh, that was a tough period that was really a tough period I I, I don't consider it a break it um
0: then, then I'm happy that you also covered that because then I guess my question is You did experience a ton of success on the first one and then on the second one, from what I'm hearing, it went a bit worse. So during that break, you had to, you know, bring in livelihood. How do you deal with the mindset as you go through that being such a success? You know, you're capable, but yet you're in this position that you were in. How do you get yourself out of it? How do you accept that? What what was your thought process, I
1: guess? Um, now I was forced basically to, to do all those things, um, go through, I, it was almost a bit of a mourning cycle almost, um, and, and ultimately uh, getting to acceptance um, and, um, and you know, the concept. So I, I, I used resources, um, I, um, I, I, I found some people who could really help me there. Um, Like what type of people? Coaches. Um, I I started a meditation practice, um, spent a lot of time outside. Uh, It it was not an easy period, to be honest. Uh, But the concept of accountability, true accountability, that's really where I got that in that period, which is, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter that the world's not fair or... Um, that there's people who you don't like, who did nasty things, in your opinion. Um, it, it matters what you do um, and, and how you deal with that. and You always have choices there. Um, and that was a big lesson in that. It was also a big lesson that, you know, we, we had a really nice lifestyle and we decided for a while to, to turn that back, um, to make sure that we had enough runway to get started again. And, um, and and this is in the American system a little different than in Europe, right? A lot of things immediately stop existing. Health insurance, uh, stuff like that. So you, 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 you're very mindful that... Um, and, and this was also the crisis, right? The years after the crisis. So we saw people in our environment who went from really the high life to skipping town is the expression. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> they left because they couldn't pay the bills anymore. So there, it was an interesting period. I, I I'm actually. Um, I learned a lot, so I'm, I'm grateful to have gone through it and coming out at, at, uh, in, in, a, in a decent way. Um, but I wouldn't call it a break.
0: What were the biggest learning lessons? And then also, how did it eventually finish?
1: Get out of your comfort zone with what you've always done was a big lesson and trust a little bit the process with people who know what they're doing uh, not necessarily what I knew I was doing um, and I still apply that regularly actually that I think oh, I don't want to do this this doesn't make any sense and then, uh, yeah but these people are actually quite good so let's, let's, let's give it the benefit of the doubt let's try that accept the fact that accepting takes time so I think anyone who you know, gets a setback like that, whether it's in business life or in personal life, you know, stuff happened there as well at some point later, um, accept that it's not going to be a quick fix. It's going to take time. Uh, and it, it all has to get internalized in yourself before you can really deal with it. You can survive, you can do stuff, you can be very effective, maybe in a sort of crisis fo- uh, mode, but um, to really... To really see it as a personal personal growth opportunity almost Um, you need to internalize it and and that takes time and it takes effort it's work Mm -hmm. that's a big lesson
0: how did the period eventually finish what was the transition in your mind looking back
1: well big big question I had for myself is am I gonna go and do another startup Um, the field I had done the first two in in the biomedical field medical field not therapeutic biotech field but but you know um, physical stuff right Um, after 2008 um, had really a big trout of venture capital um, and and a lot of people you know including Sequoia Capital who came out with that report at the time thought those days were just gonna be over now now we know it's not the case Um, but you know I, I. I was thinking about all through all those things. And um, I was also thinking, okay, and this is how I ended up with corporate venture co- capital. Uh, I don't want to be a venture capitalist. Um, I just don't want to. Not purely financially driven. There, There's more in life. Um, and so I saw um, um, a, f- a future shortfall in the innovation pipeline for large companies um, because of a, a smaller supply of startups. And then I, again, startups in the physical world, right? Not, not tech, not, not biotech th- therapeutic. Um, and, and to get that pipeline filled, that the corporates would have to play a bigger role in filling it. And that with my first career and my second career combined, I could probably be quite um, good at that. Um, so started talking to a number of corporations. in the meantime I was consulting startups, you know helping them um, get off the ground. So I, I got back into having fun <laughs> that way um, and um, talked to a few um, uh, startups in, in, in California and yeah then the people I knew at DSM at some point got in touch again. and it turned out they they already were doing this for 20 years or at that time 10 years. Um, and uh, that's how I ended up there. but I wanted to, to fill that pipeline and have more impact than one startup at a time by being able to play a portfolio approach and and bringing the things I had learned with a team of of, of people that I in the meantime hired um, uh, to to startups.
0: Because that that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you at the beginning, which is, you know, how did you make that transition going from startup to an investor? And also, what changes with your mindset when you sit on the other side of the table? Are you still, you know, that startup entrepreneur, or is there a completely different skill set?
1: Yeah, it goes back a little bit to what I said earlier. Um, sometimes I get the itch, <laughs> and I have to catch myself not to try play the startup entrepreneur um, in comments I make to. In, in a board meeting for instance or or one-on-one with with, with founders. So it is really some some th- you play a different role and you have to be very mindful of that I think to be good at it. Um, uh, fortunately um, in, in DSM and uh, you know there's there was so much that drew me to DSM uh, and, and this is one of the things is we we as a company the company has transformed over a hundred plus years right and as part of that transformation, the, the experimenting with startup models also internally, that opportunity, especially in the last few years, was, is, is, was and is also there. So sometimes you know we, we can get a little bit more hands-on um, uh, rather than purely playing a board investor role. Um, but on the investment side, that, that's what you need to do. You, you need to play your role. Um, that's what you're there for. Uh, and, um, and and don't don't start telling the CEOs exactly what to do because that's how you did it.
0: Yeah. Um, for the listeners, maybe obviously I researched what DSM does. Can you explain DSM? Sorry. Can you explain DSM in a way that? A very complicated company uh, in a simple way so not too long
1: <laughs> well here, here's the, here's the good news it's, it's becoming a, a, a simpler company um, so the company um, DSM stands for in Dutch uh, the state mines um, but it's a good acronym because we can also say in English Dutch state Mines. so it was a coal mining company um, so in in energy if you will um, and, and at the time uh, you know that that kind of energy was a transition from previous kinds of energy, right? Um, it, so when the coal mines closed, DSM decided to transform itself into, more into the chemical uh, industry and then into fine chemical industry. And uh, in the last few years, we've really transitioned to become much more of a biotech company um, that, that focuses on nutrition, health, um, and care. Um, and uh, the care um, goes well all three go for for humans for animals for the planet and we are also a for-profit business so it has to be in balance with taking care of the shareholders as well and this is where especially at this stage of my life and the last 10 years I I really feel uh, a connect that it's 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 top-notch business as well as mission driven um, and those two can go together, um, um, so that's that's what DSM is now really becoming um, a, a nutrition and healthcare company. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're you know, I'm not sharing anything that's not public. We're openly getting out of the materials businesses, out of the you know the, the older chemical businesses, and really focusing on, you know, um, how how are we going to deal with lack of resources um, uh, for humankind, with a population of 10 billion people in 2050, you know, on the nutrition side, on on the way we we feed ourselves and what we need to grow for that, how we grow it uh, in agriculture and animals, you know. So we're we're really looking at future technologies to to help make that a, a manageable um, uh, cause uh, and not destroying the earth while we're at it.
0: So, so then your role within DSM, they asked you to join when you joined. Obviously, you had been a consultant and an entrepreneur. You've had your career before that, but I don't think you've ever been an investor before that, right? So how, like, what are the first days? Like, what are the first steps? Like, how is it different? Are you kind of building your own team or can you explain to someone what that transition is like and what the practical things you were doing in the first weeks or days?
1: Yeah. No, I'd never been an investor investor before, but I'd worked for an investment firm for a while in the first ten years and in the startups, I always dealt with investors and I invested my own money. So, you know, I, I, I had a an idea of returns and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but you're absolutely right. I'd never worked for a big company. And a, a lot of my friends said, you're going to go completely nuts there. Uh, everything is going to be so... Yeah, that's what snow. I keep and, hearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is this is where... And, and you know, they're, believe me, I've had my moments and sometimes still do. It is a large uh, company. We're, we're 25,000 people. The largest company I've been with was the one I was running, which was 300 people. Uh, but most of the time, I'm, I'm under a 100, right? Um, uh, so... But you, you start seeing and maybe it's experience or getting a little um, older or I, I don't know, um, you, you start seeing more the systemic parts of it. So um, if, if you know the, what a large company that is open minded to experiment things can have as an impact is, is actually I, I now conclude and I had the feeling that that was going to be the case when I joined is huge. Um, and we, we need it desperately. So to your question, what was I doing practically? First, get to know the team that was already there, get to know the businesses, get to talk to almost anyone I could find who would give me an hour because they were running a corporate venture group somewhere else. And, and you know, in my exploration into that area, I'd spoken to quite a few people uh, already in in the US, so I didn't have to start from scratch there. And, you know, do the typical, hey, what what works, what doesn't work kind of stuff. And so within uh, the first year, developed a completely new strategy. The first assignment I gave myself was basically saying, is this ever going to really work in a large corporation in the sense that do we bring anything to the company that's going to have an impact for the company? Or is it relatively, you know, remote from the business, small fry kind of stuff? and uh, so we designed a strategy to do exactly that which which required an overhaul of the team you know instead of making it a a corporate career path of three years rotation to go through the venturing group we started looking for people who wanted that to be their career uh, and who already brought 20 plus years the first hires were all very senior people uh, to bear exactly to be able to build a reputation among startups and other vcs that you know we were not the typical um, corporate people we, we, we were trying to build a bridge to the corporate culture and to the startup at the same time um, and um, so building the team and then yeah you go through cycles in the company also financially um, so in one of the first years there was there were cash flow constraints um, so we couldn't invest a whole lot, but it gave us a great opportunity to start building a pipeline. And then we started investing and we in, in the beginning, we really set investment targets. Uh, and some people said, well, mm, if, you, if you do that, um, are you are you still going to look at quality, et cetera, et cetera? Said, yeah. But yes, you do. But you also have to get started. Uh, you can't analyze everything for three years. That's not the pace of startups and financing rounds. You, you At some point you have to take positions. And increasingly over the years, I think we've gotten better at it, closer to the business, built a real portfolio. And um, yeah, it, it is now really ingrained in the DNA of DSM to always think about what can we do with external parties? What can we do with startups? Um, not just focus on what we can do internally.
0: So I feel like the, the common trend if I hear your story is you are hiring great people. And so here again, you, when you did the overhaul, you were hiring different types of people than normal people would expect. So what kind of people were you hiring uh, and, and how big was the initial team like?
1: Yeah, the team size was, I think when I joined, it was about eight or something. And we're at 12 now. So we haven't gone through tremendous growth. We, we, we have gone through tremendous growth of how much money we invest and how many startups we invest in. We now have a portfolio of about 40 companies. I think when I joined, it was you know, maybe 10 or 15. Um, and some of them had been sitting there quite a while. We now do 10 new deals a year. Uh, we do 20 follow-ons a year. Uh, when I just had joined, people weren't thinking about follow-ons, quite frankly. They they, you know, they celebrated the first investment as the big success. Wh- what is uh, a follow-on? Just oh, sorry. Uh, it, it, you know, in, in venture capital and also in, in modern corporate venture capital, if you will, you you, you step in at, at round seed or A, um, and and now we, well, the last 10 years, we also reserve for the next rounds, not to be diluted out, and to continue to play a role with, with some impact. Um, which means, you know, a follow-on is as much work almost as the initial investment, so you need to staff up for that as well. Um, so we, we we started looking, and, and the other thing in the strategy, which was new probably, you know, the company was pretty Euro-centric but the availability of good startups was mostly in the US. So people would travel and invest. And I had a strong conviction that this, like most businesses, is also a local business with local ecosystems. You want to be part of those ecosystems. Where are the biggest startup ecosystems in the world? It's, it's California. It's the Northeast here. Uh, there, there's more now, but that was definitely then the case. And still, if you look at the amount of money that gets invested, yeah. You know, those are number one and two. And then there's a, yeah. So we, we needed to be there. We needed to have our own people there and, and who would be known for what they had done previously to be trustworthy, good people, helpful people. Um, and, and people also need to know that you're going to be around for a next deal, for a next round. Uh, so, you know, you can't be treated like, uh, and get, let yourself be treated like a, a newbie who comes to town, and yeah, we're going to take their money. Thank you, and bye bye. Um, and, and that, that I still see sometimes with with companies who start in a different continent, um, greenfielding that they, they they don't fully grasp that. So we so we hired very experienced people with a startup background, investor background, and enough social skills to speak with a large corporation that we're part of. Uh, and who were part of an existing ecosystem.
0: I like that. Uh, is the original team um, that you hired, so so not the original team, but the after one that you hired, are all of them still there or have some of them transitions like a corporate after three years?
1: <laughs> I think um, except for two, they're all still there. One One concluded very quickly into it that it wasn't the right choice so they're
0: really into it as a career
1: and one was a you know i I, this is what i always did in the startups and i'm trying to do it here as well i like um um interns people young people who come and and sniff at it and and see if we can find a match There, there there's a higher turnout rate some we are hired but some decided to go for different career paths or different geographies than where we were hiring but the Almost everybody who joined is still there. Um, and, and that was, you know, you can never plan much further than maybe three or five years. But for me, it's important that people commit to a whole investment cycle, like 10 years.
0: How did you do that? Uh, maybe very general question, but you can never predict people's behavior, especially I've learned running my business for like almost eight years now, like three years, in, in like a human cycle is like so long, especially their career nowadays is so long. How? What did you sniff out? What were you looking out for that you could see these people staying for long?
1: Yeah, great question. Um Well, let's start with the, the very experienced ones that that were the, 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 the hires in the beginning, at some point. Um, that level of experience allows for a very direct conversation, right? Exactly around this topic. Uh, this is what we're trying to do. Uh, is there a fit? Is this what you want to be part of? Um, and, and, and let's talk about how we can, it's, you know, it's as much as me uh, selling the concept as somebody selling themselves to be a good candidate, right? So um, it, it, it's about very honest and open conversations about it which in different cultures are, are different conversations to be had. Um, it's spending enough time. And, um, and then I think if, if you would ask the team, and I do ask the team, what, what drives them to still be there and do this is we do a lot. So we're, we're, we're not just um, sitting there practicing or something. We, 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 we do a lot of deals. It, it, you know, it's a fun job. It really is a fun job. And part of that is the activity, right? And, and the other important part of that is, is that it's a very diverse team and people really like to be with each other, um, uh, which is very hard during COVID, by the way. Uh, and especially since we hired three, four new people. Uh, But we we always made a big point out of at least three times a year spending three, four days together uh, and and a lot of quality time.
0: Maybe uh, another question then, um, which is related to and, and it's clear in this conversation, you clearly have this itch, which many entrepreneurs have. What is it like to have a job now? And is it like I guess the most common question is, I I don't have that question right now. I'm pretty happy, but uh, I can imagine in 20 years from now, or maybe in 10 years, I exit. And a lot of people, I've never had a job. People are like, you wouldn't cut it in a job. Like you wouldn't be able to do the nine to five. The fact that I have to get up uh, very early is already a killer. (laughs) But, but what is it like to, to have a job after having had that roller coaster? Is it worth it? Is it better to still chase freedom through startups or?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, okay. I'm, I'm 56, right? I've, I've been in business now for, for since, yeah, 33, four years, whatever. Um, I know there is no absolute freedom except maybe for a, a very few people who, um, but then they will have their own problems as well, you know. If 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 you're extremely wealthy, that you have total freedom from a financial perspective, there's probably some other things you have to worry about, right? So, um, <laughs> if it, the, the the job gives a lot of freedom as well, the job I have, I'm lucky, right? Uh, but I, a lot of autonomy. Um, in, in how we do things, the the fit and the alignment, and sometimes it is really tough, is is more on what and and why and and and, and consistency in that and not changing that because people changed in, in a business, for instance, right? That's and that sometimes can be very frustrating and sometimes indeed slow decision processes because there's so many people involved. But I also see the value of that often. So. Um, yeah for me it works um and i i think after a certain number of years of experience it becomes rather simplistic to think very black and white about it like a a job is not freedom and a startup is freedom hey in a startup you have a board you have investors you there's you have people working there there's there's, and usually,
0: you work more hours than a job as well. Well,
1: th- this is going to be—that's what I sort of expected, and I was also quite frankly ready for it. Uh, and I, I, I sometimes hear from people joining DSM. It's not the case. We uh, the people work very hard, actually, uh, at all hours. And um, so, if there's a certain amount of—I think it comes down to passion, right? If if people are passionate about what they do. and and there's a lot of passion in in this company, Uh, then they will work hard, not because they're told to do it, but because they see opportunity and they know they can they can achieve something really meaningful.
0: When you when you got the job, um, were you able to put on some requirements like I'm working autonomously, let me do my thing and trust me? Or were there already some guidelines uh, I guess what I'm asking is, was it a job job or was it because of your experience that you were allowed to become this little startup within the corporate?
1: Yeah, it was a job. job, um, With my but so my predecessors had mostly been um, long term DSM executives um, living near the center of power. So the first the first it wasn't a battle but the first like little thing was okay so you're going to come live in the Netherlands right and I was like I don't think we want that <laughs> uh because that's not where the startups are especially not near the head office of DSM which is in the south of the Netherlands there are some but you know you, you go for the low hanging fruit right so and that that would definitely be the US um but then we reached an agreement i said okay you know i need to get to know the company so i'll take an apartment i'll spend a good amount of time here to learn the inside of the company but let's have a discussion in nine months what we're going to do and that that's when we decided as a family but also with dsm um, it's a global role so east coast is is easier to manage with the time zones um, and uh, so i moved from California to Boston. Um, uh, and there were other reasons for that as well. So, yeah, I, I guess I had a level of autonomy maybe because of my previous experience and um, that they were really looking for. Um, and yeah, I'm not shy to voice my views. Um, so um, if, if it hadn't worked, if, if, if I had been forced to do things that I really would have found making no sense, I wouldn't have been there very long. So it, it, it was really a dialogue.
0: I really like that through your stories I'm really getting to know kind of the culture that is uh, going there and it's actually been my experience with the good corporates in the Netherlands that they've kind of very comfortable culture to be around uh, which I guess is partially their personality as well. But um, I want to maybe talk a little bit more about DSM then or maybe specifically then what you do. Uh, Could you tell me more about some of the startups that you guys have been investing in? What has that experience been like? Maybe some success stories, um, always interesting to hear. We sometimes have investors listening in.
1: Yeah, so we we, we really focus now on, um, on cutting edge new technology um, as well as business models and often more and more integrating digital aspects. Um, in, in nutrition uh, for humans, uh, for animals. Um, and, um, you know, some examples um, yeah, in, in this year, we invested in a company in cultured meat. So how can we, instead of growing animals who use a lot of water and need to be fed a lot of, you know, feed that needs to be grown as well, can we make meat, um, in, in, in a fermentation process, in a, in a bio, um, reactor process. Now, a lot of people start feeling uncomfortable with that concept, but uh, it, it actually comes back pretty closely to my first startup, which was also tissue engineering, right? You're, you're creating cells. So, um, and, and it's a very hot space. There's almost 100 startups in the world now really focusing on that. Um, and, and where a company as DSM can play a role is to help them scale uh, because you know, often on a small scale they're able to grow something but it's, it's, it's completely uh, unaffordable uh, because it's, it's using pharma-grade uh, ingredients that are also manufactured at a small, small scale. So you know there's a good business reason why we could be helpful there and it's a great investment area uh, with a lot of potential growth. So it's just one example. Um, uh, another example... Where we, we built a portfolio actually since a few years ago is personalized nutrition. So, you know, a lot of people benefit from uh, nutritional supplements, you know, if you have deficiencies in certain vitamin levels or live in a certain part of the world or have a certain age or a certain lifestyle, da da da, da. But it's very hard to determine what you need or what I need on any given day. And um, we, we set out a few years ago, four years ago, on, on seeing, you know, we, we have a lot of those ingredients in DSM and we, we, we like to sell them, obviously. Um, but we'd like to sell them to people who actually use them as well and need them as well. Um, so, can we make with, you know, diagnostics, with wearables, with AI, can we, uh, with, with mixing devices, with new delivery f- systems, um, new formulations? Uh, can we make a play there um, uh, and 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 play and, and be a be a leader in that space, which everybody finds very interesting. but if you look at the big companies, almost nobody's entering that space. Um, the, the, the large uh, co- consumer packaged group companies. So we did and um, uh, and we we invested in a number of startups and actually we created our own hundred percent almost owned startup in DSM, uh, just came back from a board meeting yesterday. Uh, here here in the u.s to go direct to consumer with a number of those concepts um, so th- th- those are you know those are really the exciting new things um, that will have a lot of benefit if they're successful I, I can go on and on um, but um, yeah you know in, in, in reducing um, you know, with cop 26 going on right now you know reducing the um, uh, d- 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 increasing the sustainability of how things are made biotech can play a huge role there and dsm has a very strong original core in biotech uh, actually in the netherlands and delft um, but also in other parts of the world so there's there's tremendous opportunity um, for people who can bring all these disciplines together and then frame them in a way that is more precisely targeted to um, even if you're in to, in a B2B business, which we largely are, to uh, to consumers, to the ultimate users.
0: I guess we're kind of nearing the end, but before that, I, I want to ask you a question about, you have now experienced startups, and we've covered that. And now as an investor, you've invested so many times, you've also advised the startups. You've done it now, I think 40 plus times. So. What are the most common problems that you see happen that if people are listening, you would like to share with them? And obviously solutions to that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: the most common and also potentially most devastating problems is uh, when, when it's the wrong mix of people, Um, you know, A lot of investors say this and and a lot of them a lot of us mean it we invest in teams ultimately right the technology is important the ip is important the market opportunities it's it's all important but you know the wrong mix of people doing it and that includes by the way the the investors on the cap table and the people in the board uh, can really mess up uh, (laughs) very good opportunities And an excellent combination of people can really, out of something mediocre maybe even, create a big success uh, because they will get at it and go at it and and, and change it and and make it something great. So I cannot... um, uh, I'm looking for the right word here. Emphasize? Emphasize enough how important that is. And, And especially when it's deep tech... It is sometimes overlooked uh, by by people who uh, who are really looking for the next winner uh, on the technology side it's not a judgment call but I, I think also when you when you're in this business you need the right mix of people working on that you need the technology people you need the people who look at the human aspect you look at people who, who, who look at the financial aspects business aspects everything it's um, it's a bit of a wide answer to your question i think so yeah yeah i was
0: going to say it it's pretty general uh, i hear that a lot you've actually experienced it as an entrepreneur obviously the first time was good founder second time a bit uh, less so so can you then say you know somebody's a founder they're either looking for a co-founder or they're having doubts about their fellow co-founders Can you point them in the right direction of what is it that could be bad about the co-founders that isn't right? What are red flags they should be looking out for? Or on the other side, what are really good flags that they're like, okay, I, I'm very happy that this is happening.
1: Yeah. If you ask the question that way, mm, my inclination would be to start answering in terms of attributes of individuals. Mm -hmm. Um. And I don't want to do that because, you know, yes, there are some attributes that you probably are looking for in individuals, but it, it is really the mix. It's the team. Um, so I, I've seen and I'm, I'm in a few scenarios now, actually, where everybody individually is really superb, best quality you can get. But the combination doesn't work or is not optimal. Right.
0: Wh- why not?
1: Excuse me? Wh- why not? Uh <laughs> Well that that I don't want to go into amateur psychology here, but often I, I okay if if I would found a company again now, um, I would really deeply try to get a hypothesis in my own mind what drives the people I'm going to work with. And whether that's patterns that come back from the way they are genetically built or where they were raised or uh, the experiences they've had in their life afterwards, professionally or personally, that is, for me, what I look for. Now, often it's very hard to find out, right? People, it, it can be very impolite to ask about certain things. In some countries, you, you, it may be illegal to ask about certain things, but <laughs> I, I need a hypothesis, right? And then it can turn out to be wrong, but I cannot mindlessly just go and look at some attributes like, oh, this person has been successful or I feel so good being around this person. I really get a lot of energy or you know, things that probably in my younger years I thought were the criteria. No, it's really the team. It, it has to, nobody can do something alone in a startup.
0: So to quickly summarize for me, because we're having someone who is experienced and I keep hearing it and it's so general and so vague. And, but, but for me to summarize then, um, what you are looking for is not all people the same. They have to be diverse. They have to be different. And I guess from what you're saying, having discussions and debates because of that. But at the end of the day, at, in their heart, they have to be on the same mission.
1: Yes, and, and you can talk about that a lot, and you have to, and then you form that hypothesis in your head. We, we don't go as far as to do assessments on teams or, or write it all out, but we, we try also as a, an investment team to form an opinion on what makes people tick. Why are they doing this? Uh, are those the motivations that we can align with? And how does it go between the different team members? And then it's really, it's really a matter of seeing what actually happens. It's not the words, and and if you see, and, and I say this now as an investor, but I would also say it as a CEO or a founder. If if you the moment you feel that something is not right, it's usually really not right, um, and then you probably have all these. Um, um, biases because you made a decision to hire somebody that "Ah, i know i must have it wrong let's explore a little further and and i'm not saying you know shoot from the hip with things but if you really deeply feel based on 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 your experience and your observations and you have to be factual about it that that it's not working then then there is usually something that needs to be repaired
0: i like that and uh and so, quickly um, before. So, what what is your thought then, or have you seen successful sole founders then? Because you keep mentioning teams. What about sole founders,
1: who 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 are the whole startup without anyone around them?
0: No, they have a team, obviously. Otherwise, you know, startup won't grow. But uh, but it's like there's only one founder because they started the business and they kept growing it, and when they started making money. Start getting employees
1: yeah that can happen that can happen um it's it's rare in my experience that people are really really exceptionally good at all stages you have to go through but it does happen actually um i can think of a few examples where there was a sole technical founder who turned out to become a really good business person um, um but yeah, you know, the odds are against it, I would say, uh, generally speaking. Um this is this is one of the things I actually like. I'm looking that way because MIT is that way. Um uh, they, they, they really seem to have a knack of finding, even in their student population and definitely in their staff, a lot of multidisciplinary talented people. Um so not not only technology, which is top-notch, obviously, but um um also uh, with with uh, I- I- emotional intelligence um, and, and and a certain drive and a communication skill and and sometimes multiple technical things and and especially if those are converging in that startup, then sole founders can work but i 'm also a strong believer that nobody should be doing something too long without uh, refreshment and this goes for politics <laughs> and government, but it also goes for 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 startups now most startups are not around long enough to really see that happen but sometimes they do actually
0: as we're uh, kind of ending the end what are some last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners
1: um well you, you had a lot of questions about my tra- transformations or transitions if you will and um, um I always, I, I, I've become more thoughtful with them, but uh, I never very long processes of jumping into something different, um, and it 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 was always because I yeah I really, it fit with my values, uh, it felt good with the people, um, and I obviously could see the business case, and and then. Yeah, this, I would probably say this. There's a time to analyze things and then you make a decision and then you go do it for a while. And don't second guess at every turn. You know, Take a few years to just put your head down, work, and then come up again and, and think about, hey, does this work? Is this what I want to do? Um, that, that, I think that, that would be true for a lot of circumstances that probably a lot of your listeners are, are going through as, as they go through their lives.
0: I really love that advice actually it's really good thank you um, I want to roll out the red carpet for you is there anything you'd like to share where can people find you please uh, share more
1: yeah no I, I'm not on a mission here <laughs> I, I was intrigued by the opportunity to have this conversation with you and uh, yeah from it, I, en- I enjoy doing it so um, I, I hope there is some nuggets in here that people will benefit from
0: great thank you so much for sharing and i really hope uh yeah people got a lot out of it just like i did see you maybe on a, a next episode <laughs> very good have a good rest of your day if you like this episode you can check out our most recent one here and if you haven't already make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.